Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. And what a powerful podcast yesterday with Rusty Thomas. And uh, man, I hope uh, that his new book does well. And I hope you guys had a chance to really sit down and listen to his um, really moving testimony. Powerful. Um, Let's see what we have going on here before we get into the podcast today. um, The topic will be similar today, but we're going to talk about some current events. Some issues relating to God's creation, life, gender, marriage, drag queens. Okay, maybe not drag queens. Well, we'll see. Um, but we've got 10 questions for pro-choicers. We're going to talk about, we're going to actually think, encourage people to think. I know it's dangerous territory. But before we do that, the January book offer, I like to mention it every couple of days. If you would like to order all four of my books you can get them right now for $35. I don't make any money from this, but we just want to move them out instead of having them sit in boxes. So $35 for Eradicate, Blotting Out God in America, The Cost of Our Silence, Redefining Truth, and the latest book, Canceling Christianity. If you're local, $35 flat. If you are from outside of Wisconsin, uh, the Green Bay area, you need them shipped. There, It'll be about $43, $44 for all four books. So let me know. The email is comments at standupforthetruth.com. Father in heaven, thank you for another day. Great is your faithfulness. We recognize your mercies are new every morning. We recognize your sovereignty. We bow down before you, O Lord, because we know that you hold all things in your hand. Jesus, you created all things. You sustain all things. And you hold all things together by your powerful word. And we look forward to your return. Every day, God, we, we know it's getting closer. We know uh, the end times are upon us. We're in the church age, the last days, and, Lord, we need wisdom for these days. We need wisdom to shine the light of Christ in an increasingly dark culture and country, God, and we need to wake up the remnant. We need to wake up people that are already in churches but maybe not committed to you, Jesus, and living for you. Well, Lord, give us wisdom And also give us wisdom on how to speak to outsiders, those who do not know you, who maybe have never heard the good news of the gospel. Lord, put it on our hearts and on our lips. And may you be glorified in our lives and in this day and in even this podcast, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Seth Gruber is back with us. He's a public speaker focused on equipping Christians and pro-life advocates. He, let's see, the son of a pregnancy resource center director. Uh, Seth was raised in the pro-life movement, has been speaking publicly on behalf of the unborn since he was 19. He travels and speaks in uh, Christian churches, uh, Catholic schools, pro-life training seminars, and for pregnancy resource banquets. And uh, he engages in debate, great debates, by the way, blogs on these issues. And I love his Facebook posts and tweets as well. Uh, Follow him while you still can before he gets deleted or censored. Um, We'll put those links in today's podcast notes. So, Seth Gruber, you uh, have a podcast called Unaborted. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. 
Thank you, David. Yes, uh, standing up for the truth in a post-truth society, indeed. Yeah, isn't that uh, fun? I, I appreciate your voice, so thank you. <laughs> You're most welcome. Well, your last podcast, when we had you on um, about, I'm guessing it was, boy, I don't even know how long ago it was, but it was called Defend All Life or Defend the Culture of Death. There is no gray area. So we talked a lot about that. Um, Today, we're going to dive into a very important blog that you put out, 10 Questions for Pro-Choicers, and we have some recent headlines I want to get your take on. But before we do that, Seth, catch us up on what you've been doing in the month since uh, we talked last. Yeah, I think we spoke uh, sometime in the fall, perhaps, or it might have been the end of summer, beginning of fall 2021, Mm -hmm. and uh, 2021 was... Uh, certainly one for for the record books, um, and that's true for a lot of churches and ministries. Our, our church here in Thousand Oaks, uh, Godspeed Calvary Chapel, um, we have baptized uh, more new believers um, than the entire size of the congregation <laughs> before the country shut down. Wow. So, uh, the church was about 400 people before the shutdowns, and now our church has about 2,300 people come through. Um, between the Saturday evening service and the three Sunday morning services. Um, and you're seeing that with uh, lots of ministries, organizations, yes. um, and, and people like myself who speak on issues that pastors previously avoided with a nine-foot pole. And, of course, there's always the remnant, and there's those who have been contending for life and truth and righteousness in the public square um, for a long time. But I think a lot of pastors um, are starting to find their spines a little bit. The question, of course, is, is, is it to the degree um, that is necessary to end abortion and to save America? And, and I, I'm not convinced that we're there yet. But I spoke in more pulpits in um, an 11-month period last year than I had done in all 11 years. Um, of my speaking career, or rather my speaking experience. I was probably 19, the uh, first public speech I gave on abortion. And so that's pretty wild. And I think people are starting to recognize that the enemy's overplayed his hand. Um, and it's, it's kind of go time, and they know what time it is. And so uh, we've been starting pro-life ministries at uh, churches all across Southern California. The first one that we helped start was at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. Awesome. My good friend, Pastor Jack Hibbs Church. Yeah. Um, and then Calvary Chapel the Harbor, Calvary Chapel High Desert, Calvary Chapel Downey, um, and many more. And because of the faithfulness of these pastors and primarily of the Love Life missionaries and volunteers who basically were just waiting for marching orders, uh, these pastors were telling me, Seth, I had no idea how many people were in our churches, in our church, waiting to be told what to do on the issue of life. Wow. And we have whole teams together now. We have people who have given their lives to this full-time and are love like missionaries <clears throat> that go to these churches, and then they're raising up partner churches and volunteers in the different ministry pillars. And so they have saved over 125 babies in 2021 alone um, through the Southern California Love Life um ministries, um, and those were babies uh, from moms who were walking into an abortion center um, to kill their baby the day that they ran into the church. Um, And so uh, that's been encouraging, and now I was just right back on it again in January, just got back from Bakersfield, speaking at a church that we're getting a ministry started at. So 
you know, things happen gradually, then suddenly evil works that way, but so does the good. Yes. Um, and I think we're, we're going to start seeing a lot of um, phenomenal stories uh, coming out, not just on life, but also on many other issues, right? Uh, pastors and parents getting before school boards, mm-hmm. getting degenerate school board and city council people replaced who push Planned Parenthood approved sex ed yep. um, as the church starts to wake up and contend. And so these are dark times, certainly. Um, and there's a lot to, to be sad about, um, especially for those of us who are parents and um, wonder what kind of country we hand to our children. Um, but there's a lot of good happening, too. Well, the good, the good news really is we know that we are in the last days and with all these world events and, and the, the, just the state of our country and the culture, we know that we're getting closer to the return of Christ. So as we as believers... Uh, yeah, we look up because our redemption is drawing near. So we're thankful for that. But at the same time, we've got to be purposeful about this life and what we're doing now. We need to redeem the time and not just kind of kick back and wait, <laughs> wait for Jesus to return and just uh, do our own thing. There are souls to be saved. There are lives to be saved. And Seth, you are very committed to getting the truth out about what happens not only in a woman's, a mother's womb, but in these uh, murder facilities, abortion mills across the country, uh, what actually happens. And I want to go right out of the gate. Let's go back to something that you alluded to, and I want to just just let you go off on this, the my body, my choice argument. You said something very interesting in a video that you did. So a woman, they're going to have, uh, what, what, what did you say, two hearts, ten fingers, ten toes. You went through this <laughs> thing, and I'm like, wait a minute. So is it really one body, the woman's body, her choice, or are there two separate bodies? Please give our listeners some ammo to respond to that ridiculous argument. Well, I mean, (laughs) that's probably one of the oldest talking points (laughs) the pro-abortion side has. But it's still successful. They've been been screaming that for decades, right? My body, my choice, bodily autonomy, right? (laughs) And and I guess it's like for people like you and me, when we've been swimming in these waters for so long, you know, those, those just become such tired phrases <laughs> yeah. um, that it's like sometimes I forget that like some people actually don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> um, and that, of course, that, that's really the fault of the pulpit, right? David? Yes. Like that, this is not your and my fault. Like that's the fault of the pulpit. But I mean, um, I mean, it's just science, right? Follow the science. I don't know, David. I, I just, you know, Dr. Fauci, he's been telling me every day I wake up, I just hear him say, follow the science, follow the science. <laughs> um, I am the science, says Dr. Frankenstein Fauci who's pro-abortion. That's oh, right. that's right. That's right, David. Exactly. <laughs> Science for thee, but not for me. Abortions for thee, but not for me. Dr. Frankenstein Fauci funds through the NIAID, the University of Pittsburgh, where they scout the heads of 20 to 24 week old aborted babies who could have survived outside the womb if cared for by heroic doctors in a neonatal unit. And they take the scalps of those babies like old school Indians and they insert them subcutaneously on lab rats so that, the in, so that the rat begins to grow the infant human hair that would have grown on the head of that infant had they not been aborted. And they're scalping funded by Dr. Frankenstein Fauci. And they do this to create humanized mice, to perform experiments, to produce biological drugs, to find solutions to staph infections. So the baby simply becomes a sacrifice for man's pursuit of eternal life. That's who follow the science Fauci is. Mm-hmm. And my point is this. These people care nothing about science. Okay, they care about power. 
Yep. Um, and that's nowhere more true than the issue of abortion. But let's follow the science, shall we, Fauci? Uh, what is the science of embryology? Well, we've actually known it for, for decades, David, decades and decades and decades and decades. Um, from the moment of conception, you, you were a distinct living and whole human being. And you'll find those terms in like embryology textbooks, like at UC Davis, like on university campuses. Okay. Like, Mm -hmm. like everyone knows this. Um, well, that first word, that's the answer to your question and to to the listeners who, who need ammo to destroy this sort of bigotry, uh, in my body, my choice. Well, actually, if the baby is distinct from the moment of conception, distinct means what separate, unique. Not you. You're not me. I'm not you, David. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're distinct from fertilization, well, then that has to mean that the body and her body is not her body. Um, and and we do know this from a self-evident level, as as you as you said it earlier, right? No one actually thinks that pregnant women have 20 fingers and 20 toes, two brains, two hearts, two different DNA codes, potentially two different blood types existing simultaneously. Um, and, I also uh, love what you said. What if the baby if is a boy? With a boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if she's pregnant with a boy, now pregnant women have male genitalia. Uh-oh. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the, uh, the lesbian dance theory uh, professor at UC Berkeley says, yes, yes, you're right, David. Welcome. You're accepted to UC Berkeley where men are women and women are men. Uh, wait, no, I think we went wrong somewhere. Uh, women do not have male genitalia. But, um, you know, if the body in her body is her body and it's her body, her choice. Therefore, uh, every part of the baby is actually just part of mom's body. Okay. Well, that's, that's sort of the, just the insanity that all of that leads to. Uh, and, and then secondly, bodily autonomy can never be used as a justification to kill innocent human beings without proper justification, right? Like, like when I punch you in the face, David, I'm using my bodily autonomy, <laughs> right? I'm using my body in a way that allows me to channel my inner uh, slay queen. It's like, well, no, no, Seth, you don't get to go around punching people. Like my my um, liberty ends where your nose begins, right? You, you, your liberty ends, pro-abortion person, where the natural rights of another human being begin. Um, and what right could be more fundamental than the right to life? Uh, and so my point is this, David, these people know, these people know that the unborn is a human being. Okay. Like they've been saying this and admitting this for decades. Mm-hmm. Alan Guttmacher, the former president of Planned Parenthood, <laughs> said in his book, Life in the Making, um, that regarding whether people know that human life begins at the moment of conception, here's what he said, like circa the, I don't know, 70s or 80s. He said, This all seems so simple and evident that it is difficult to picture a time when it wasn't part of the common knowledge. Uh, You got um, uh, Naomi Wolf, one of the most prominent feminist authors uh, in the country, David. Uh, Naomi Wolf is an old school Mm -hmm. um, and older feminist. She's been around forever, and she she supported abortion forever. And she wrote a piece in in the New Republic years ago. Um, that is one of the most telling and intellectually honest and intellectually consistent admissions you will ever hear from a defender of abortion. She said, she said, clinging to a rhetoric about abortion in which there is no life and no death, we entangle our beliefs in a series of self-delusions, fibs, and evasions. Mm. And we risk becoming precisely what our critics charge us with being 
callous, selfish, and casually destructive men and women who share a cheapened view of human life. So what's her solution, David? We need to contextualize the fight to defend abortion rights within a moral framework that admits that the death of a fetus is a real death. And lastly, Camille wow. Paglia, another pro-abortion feminist, David, said in the 2008 article, I think it's Salon.com, which is a garbage journal. I mean, never go there. Yes. She said, um, hence, I have always frankly admitted that abortion is murder, the extermination of the powerless by the powerful. <laughs> mm-hmm. She goes on to say liberals, for the most part, have shrunk from facing the ethical consequences of their embrace of abortion, which results in the annihilation of concrete individuals and not just clumps of insensate tissue. Wow. So, uh, David, these are the people who, and by the way, these people didn't change their minds, right? Like, that's so blunt and honest. By the way, that one from Camille Paglia may be the most honest one you'll ever find. Yeah. When she says, hence, I've always admitted that abortion is murder. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, that's only what pro-lifers are supposed to say, Camille. What are you doing? <laughs> like, I can imagine Planned Parenthood wrote her a letter. It's like, yeah. you're fired. What are you doing? <laughs> Shut up. Uh, we're, you're, you're preventing us from pulling off our Joseph Goebbels uh, implement, implementation of fake news where the public has to be, quote, shielded from the moral, ethical, and political consequences of our lie. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but this is how honest they are because reality tends to be self-evident. And so that's a very long answer, David, to the question, what do people say to bodily autonomy? Yeah. Uh, the body in your body is not your body. And guess what? The people pushing abortion know that. They know the science. They know the unborn is a human being. Um, only someone who, who is, <clears throat> is completely removed from sort of reality and who is smoking pot in their sixth grade biology course or <laughs> is evil um, could, 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 could come away with any other conclusion. Uh, and so we're, we're not just up against uh, people who are ignorant and they just need to be reminded of the science, David. No, 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 no. We're up against people who torment us and the unborn with the approval of their own conscience, to quote C.S. Lewis, Amen. because they don't care. It was always about power. That's right. And more, that, that is true. Seth Gruber, Voice for the Unborn. You guys can check out his website, sethgruber.com. We've got two minutes left in this segment. And uh, it, there is a spiritual dynamic to this, Seth, because it is really, I would say, demonic. Some would say satanic to sacrifice babies on the altar of choice, convenience, uh, reproductive freedom, whatever altar you want to call it. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament and world history. It is demonic because God is the author of life, Satan is the author of death, and there is a very real spiritual dimension, this spiritual warfare that is going on when you're talking about these issues. And this is literally a topic of life and death. We've just got a minute left, but I want to tease some of the headlines. We're going to come back and talk about this. Plus, we'll dive into your 10 questions to ask pro-choicers. And I'll let you respond to this when we come back, Seth. Um, Why wasn't it okay for Scott Peterson in 2002 in California to kill his unborn child, but it would have been perfectly fine if his wife Lacey wanted to do so? So we're going to answer that question and encourage people to reason. Plus, California knew all gender locker rooms coming to the schools, And someone actually beat the transgender swimmer from Pennsylvania. It was another transgender from another state. 
More with Seth Gruber when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest, Seth Gruber, has a podcast. It's called Unaborted. Um, great title, <laughs> Unaborted with Seth Gruber. A lot of fascinating, provocative, informative, and challenging topics in his podcast. Uh, Seth, before we go to come, some of those articles that I teased before the break, let's talk about that question. Um, in 2002 in California, most people might remember the story of Scott Peterson who murdered his wife, Lacey. She was pregnant. Um, he was charged with two counts of murder. And apparently he, he has been on death row. And now I know he's been in the news recently. I'll let you address that. But the question you ask in 10 Questions for Poor Choicers, why wasn't it okay for Scott Peterson to kill his unborn child but would have been perfectly fine had Lacey wanted to? Seth, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, most of your listeners probably remember this story. I mean, it was infamous. It was a you know, nationwide story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this degenerate Scott Peterson was, was partying while his wife was missing. Um, why was she missing? Yeah, well, yeah, because he murdered her and threw her into the river. I forget which river. Uh, I mean, this, this, this guy is about as, as disgusting and debased as you can get. Um, and, and, of course, in my opinion, should have, gone to death, should have been executed by the state. Uh, oh, but Seth, you're pro-life. You can't be pro-death penalty. Well, we, we can get into that later if you want, of course, David. Uh, <laughs> so um, uh, he is back in the news again, actually, because um, he's, being, he's being spared the death penalty, which should have been in a truly just society. He should have gotten the death penalty as soon as he was convicted, right? Mm. <laughs> uh, but here we are in 2022, 20 years later, and now he's uh, being spared spared um, the death penalty and he'll be in just prison for life, uh, uh, supposedly. I mean, a lot of rapists are supposed to get life prison sentences and then they get let out. So um, the story was um, disgusting. The baby was in the late second or early third trimester. So baby probably could have survived outside the womb um, had had she been delivered, he or she been delivered. Um, So Scott Peterson murders, yeah, murders his whole family, murders his wife and and his unborn child. Um, and, and this is always the question that thoughtful pro-lifers have for the pro-abortion movement, right? It's like, hey, why is a man charged with two counts of homicide if he kills a pregnant woman? Um, that doesn't make sense. Please explain it to me, Planned Parenthood. <laughs> exactly. Um, because if, if he wants to pay a hitman to take forceps and rip the arms of his child off of their shoulder before crushing their skull in the womb, and mom says yes to that, then that's reproductive health care. But then if he kills his unborn child uh, in the process of killing his wife, suddenly that unborn child transforms from an insensate blob of tissue into a distinct living and whole human being with intrinsic dignity and rights such that their death deserves justice. Mm. Their death deserves justice being assigned a, a, a completely unique murder case such that he could be charged with two counts of murder. Uh, Boy, we're through the looking glass now, aren't we, David? Welcome (laughs) to the la-la land of secular progressivism, where down is up and up is down and two plus two equals five. Um, And of course, right, because like I said earlier, reality tends to be self-evident, right? It it, it tends to just be self-evident that the unborn child has rights 
is a human being unless unless they're unwanted unless they're unwanted um and so let's ask this question to a pro-choicer again why wasn't it okay for scott peterson to kill his unborn child because he two counts of homicide right but would have been perfectly fine had Lacey wanted to. And had Lacey wanted to, she would have been exercising her rights. <laughs> right, David? Yeah. That would have been her right to do reproductive rights. That's right. Women's rights. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, whoa. And so here's the answer that the pro-choice will try to spin for you, David. Here's what they'll try to spin. Well, <laughs> come on, David, you you stupid Trumpian Republican rube, you <laughs> conspiracy theorist. Let, here, let me explain it to you since you're not woke. You see um, – bodily autonomy it's not scott's body he can't just kill that baby um now if lacy wanted to it is her body her choice that's right um and uh, oh and also david lacy wanted the baby see so i i listen i i i i'm only for abortions that that are chosen by mom i i don't like forced abortions and 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 that's really what happened here david with scott peterson he was forcing an abortion, if you will, by killing the unborn um, insensate lot of tissue uh, without Lacey's consent. Now, of course, that, that answer has a couple problems, right? For, uh, firstly, uh, our value as human beings doesn't come from whether we're wanted or unwanted. The, the fact that Lacey wanted her unborn child and Scott Peterson didn't is, is beside the point. The mm. child is a human being. Yes. Therefore, the child has natural rights that flow from a human nature. The first natural right that flows from a human nature is the right to life. So <clears throat> that, 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 that dog won't hunt. Uh, and, then, and then they say, well, um, Scott Peterson did it. That's why it was wrong. You know, then if Lacey had wanted to, it's the right, constitutional right. That's what I read somewhere in the, in the penumbras. I don't know, somewhere there in the Constitution that women have a constitutional right to abortion. So it was fine for Lacey to, but not Scott Peterson to. Uh, once again, how, how does who is killing <clears throat> the baby in question have anything to do with the moral question at the heart of the abortion debate? Yes. At the end of the day, the heart of the debate is what is the unborn and do they have rights? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, if it's a human being, it has natural rights. And any argument you use to justify killing the unborn can be used to justify killing the infant as well. Um, and so none of those dogs are going to hunt. But but. That's such a great question for pro-aborts, David, because they really have no idea what to do with it, short of the two answers I gave you. Yes. Um, And so it really sort of reveals some of those rotten premises of progressivism. Well, along the same lines uh, of that one, what you just explained in your 10 questions for pro-choicers, number seven, uh, CBS News reported in May of 2019 that baby Sabi, who was born December of 2018, at 23 weeks, weighing 8.6 ounces, had been released home. The San Diego hospital worked heroically to save baby Sabi's life, and they succeeded. So the question that you pose is, why should it be wrong to kill Sabi at 23 weeks, but okay to kill a fetus in utero at 28 weeks? You're making people think, Seth. Oh, yeah, no, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> so actually, David, there's actually a baby who's now beaten baby Sabi. Not that it's a competition, of course. Um, <laughs> I would never insinuate that. I mean, you know, these are children. But um, but you know what I mean? The beaten in, in terms of the youngest preemie that's right. have ever been born and, and survived and is now actually thriving. Uh, that that baby, 
that record holder currently, I believe, was born at 21 weeks and one day. Wow. Um, or 21 weeks and three days, right around there. 21 so, weeks. Um, <clears throat> about almost full two weeks um, earlier, right? Uh, incredible, incredible. In fact, you know, this baby Sabi being born at 23 weeks, I mean, had babies been being born at 23 weeks in 2000, the 1990s, <clears throat> um, that baby's not living. Very unlikely, very unlikely. And so it's incredible that our medical technology and advancements have enabled us uh, to save babies at these earlier and earlier stages, right? It, it, it truly is beautiful. In fact, uh, you may remember um, uh, President Trump in his State of the Union address in 2020, I think. I think it was his last one, maybe 2019. He highlight he highlighted you know how the president they, they highlight people in the in the state in the seats during their state of the union yes and they're like here's how this person's life improved because of my policies and so <laughs> awesome and Republicans and Democrats do it and it's kind of silly but, yeah you know, I mean I, I guess I get it um, well Trump uh, highlighted uh, a mother Robin I think and her baby um, and so th- this baby was also born around the, around the same time 23 something weeks. Um, and was born um, at St. Luke's Hospital, if I recall, in Kansas City. The only reason I bring that up, David, is to make this point. <clears throat> St. Luke's Hospital in Kansas City, I don't know if it's on the Missouri or Kansas side, but they have invested a lot of time and talent into developing um, a preemie program and wing at their hospital. So they've invested a lot of time and money into, into making sure that they're well-situated to be able to save uh, babies and, and bring all that they can to bear Praise God. Um, to, to save babies born at very premature stages. So the the survival rate of a baby um, born <clears throat> um, at before 24 weeks at St. Luke's Hospital in between like 21 and 24 weeks, right, uh, is um, about 50 percent survival rate. Wow. Um, the, the nationwide, so I covered this podcast at the time, which, which is my, why it might be one or two percentages off, but it's pretty close. Um, the survival rate of babies born at that same stage of development for the nationwide, right, nationwide survival rate, uh, David, is like, I think it was like 13% or something like that. What's, what's the point then? When you try harder, <laughs> when you invest time and talent, <laughs> you, you can save more prematurely born babies. Um, and so this comes to that question of viability, doesn't it? Right. Yes. It's like, well, the baby can't survive outside the womb yet. It's like, well, but every few years or every decade or so, babies that were not, quote unquote, viable in the 90s, or early 2000s now are at the same stage of development. So uh, so when pro-choicers say I'm pro-choice, OK, but I'm not crazy. I'm not a crazy kooky pro-abort. It's, I don't like, you know, abortion through point of birth. I'm a moderate pro-choicer. And, <laughs> and the, the, the line where I draw the line, David, between babies that aren't babies and babies that are persons, that line is viability. It just makes a lot of sense, David. And so as soon as that baby can survive outside the womb and doesn't require mom's body, right, right it doesn't need mom to continue surviving anymore, but can survive outside the womb with, yes, with the assistance of doctors, you know, maybe in the neonatal unit, uh, then that, then that's the line. That's when that baby magically gets personhood rights that should be protected. But then, of course, the question becomes, wait a second. So you're telling me that the medical advancements um, that scientists come up with um, is directly linked to someone's natural right? 
So, so you're telling me that the neurons that fire in the brains of scientists as they sit in their office and come up with new ways to improve the technology that enables us to keep prematurely born babies alive at earlier and earlier stages, that actually, those inventions actually fundamentally alters and moves back the timeline of a human being's natural right to life. Wow, what a strange world where one's right to life is purely dependent <clears throat> on the ideas that medical doctors and scientists think up in their brain. <laughs> That's essentially what they're saying. Um, and so this, this story sort of gets to that same point, is that baby Sabi was able to survive outside the womb just barely, right? Yeah. Just barely. And the hospital worked heroically yes. to save baby Sabi's life. Why? Because she was wanted. See, David, she was wanted. Mm. But in the same wing of that San Diego hospital, I, I this could be happening. I don't know this, right? But in some hospitals, my point is the same. In some hospitals, you could have prematurely born babies being uh, being born and being heroically catered to in order to save them at 23, 24 weeks. And in a different wing of the same hospital, David, you could have a baby at 25, 26, 27 weeks having their limbs ripped off of their body because um, hashtag reproductive health care. That's right. Uh, that happens. That happens in hospitals all across this country. Yes. So one baby is significantly more developed, right? Older, larger, therefore what? Less dependent on mom, right? A baby born at 28 weeks has a very good survival <laughs> chance and rate, right? Yes. But baby Sadie at 23 weeks barely, barely survived. Uh, what's the difference? What's the difference? One was wanted, one wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as we begin parsing society between those who are wanted and unwanted, um, we, 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 we are on a quick way down to hell. I know. Uh, and that, that, lo that location ends uh, well for nobody, right? It's because as long as our country can continue to deny the natural right to life to an entire class of human beings, our own rights will constantly be endangered by modern jurists and a ruling class whose jurisprudence and judicial philosophy is completely foreign to the founding fathers. Amen. So, anyways, I could say more about that, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, pretty pretty disgusting stuff. Well, well, yes, it is disgusting, but it's allowed and it's legal in the land of the free and the home of the brave in a quote uh, Christian nation, which we know that we know we're not Christian; we were founded as such. But um, let's jump over to something else. We've only got four minutes left in this segment. In uh, number five of your questions, the ten questions for pro-choicers. We'll just jump to the question because we know that modern technology and uh, true science and research has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that babies in the womb, the fetus, can feel pain at a certain point. And usually that's around 20 weeks. They can feel pain. So the question, should unborn babies scheduled for abortion be given the benefit of anesthesia to ease the pain of dismemberment? We can also throw in the fact that when they do surgeries on a baby in the womb, they somehow they give that baby anesthesia. Seth, now we're down to three and a half minutes. Sorry, bro. I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Go. Yeah. So uh, actually, it, it, it's even earlier than that, David, but it, it, it's pretty much widely acknowledged that by 20 weeks, the baby is fully capable of experiencing pain. Mm -hmm. uh, but Dr. Maureen Kondik, an associate professor of neurobiology and anatomy at the University of Utah, testified before Congress in 2017. So this woman is about the best you can get on an expert on fetal pain. Here's what she told in documented uh, you know, records before Congress in 2017. She said, it is entirely uncontested in the scientific and medical literature that a fetus experiences pain in some capacity 
from as early as eight weeks, David. And most modern neuroscientists conclude that the thalamic circuitry that's in place by 18 weeks post-fertilization is primarily responsible for human experience of pain at all stages of life. So probably it's 18 weeks and not 20 weeks when the baby can feel the full range of human pain, but they feel something by eight weeks. And so for the squishy pro-choicers who say, uh, you know, I'm pro-choice, but once the baby can feel pain, right, they always try to come up with this stupid line, some line that separates babies in the womb uh, from those who have a right to life from those who don't have a right to life. Uh, and so, so it's, it's a great question. It's like, okay, you're right. We don't, yeah, I'm totally, I get it, pro-choice. Or you don't want babies to unnecessarily feel pain while they're being aborted, murdered. So, hey, should unborn babies scheduled for abortion be given the benefit of anesthesia to ease the pain of dismemberment? The, the reason why that's brilliant, David, is regard, either way, how they answer that question will show what a degenerate they are. Mm-hmm. If they say no, they shouldn't be given anesthesia to, to ease the pain of dismemberment, they look like a moral monster who intentionally wants to inflict pain. Mm-hmm. If they say yes, then they're like, I'm, they're saying, I'm fine with killing innocent human beings <laughs> as long as they can't feel it. David. Yeah, they're trapped. <laughs> oh, great. So can I just anesthetize you right now and then chop your head off? <laughs> so. But I'll give you anesthesia first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that that, yeah. That's the humane thing to do anyway. Um, uh, Seth, we've got just a minute and a half left here and don't have time to get into the uh, transgender stories until we come back from break. But uh, where can people find out about your podcast? And I know you have a Facebook page as well. Yeah, Unaborted with Seth Gruber. If you'd like to watch it on YouTube, you can go to my YouTube channel, Seth Gruber, A Voice for the Unborn. If you'd like to watch it, we do media, you know, and then, and then we have guests on once a week. So if you'd like to watch that interaction. And then it's available on all the major audio podcast platforms. Uh, follow me on Instagram, Facebook um, as well for, for more unfiltered commentary and uh, and then my website sethgruber.com my speaking schedule is already starting to go bonkers for 20 first half of 2022 awesome um, and uh, I also have a very exciting announcement uh, in the transgender space for you and your listeners when we come back okay yeah we'll get into those two stories when we come back from our break and by the way jump over to Seth Gruber's uh, videos on YouTube while you can still watch them because as of now they haven't been deleted but <laughs> you know a lot of us uh, having issues with big tech That's for another podcast. But when we come back, Planned Parenthood has repeatedly accepted donations earmarked for aborting black babies. Plus, the transgender swimmer has been beaten by another transgender. More in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Seth Gruber is our guest today. A strong, bold voice for the unborn. Check out his website and highlight it. Market. Um, Seth, I want to clear something up before we get into this next topic. Are you trans vaccinated? So um, <laughs> I, I would like to um, I would like to share uh, something that others have only guessed at. Um, I, I discovered uh, at the end of last year my my uterus identifying true self. Um, and it has been a liberating journey that has uh, freed me from the bondage of my physical body. Um, I always knew that there was a Sally located deep within uh, the, the soul of Seth um, that was waiting to be freed like a butterfly. Um, and I've just been following the science mm-hmm. of transgenderism, and it has taught me, David, how to decouple my person uh, from my bigoted XY chromosomes, you see. Um, and so understanding, understanding that biology is distinct from my lived experience, 
um, has enlightened me to a new and glorious truth that others have only guessed at. Uh, and so I would like to publicly announce at this time that, yes, I have also discovered that I am transvaccinated. Uh, and if I'm honest, David, I think my true self always knew that um, <laughs> from a young age. I knew I was meant to be a vaccinated person. Uh, and being born in an unvaccinated body has been almost as traumatic and painful as being born in a male body. Uh, you, you know, you really have no idea, David, uh, as a Republican rube, um, how entrenched <laughs> a systemic transvaxphobia has become. Um, it has not been an easy journey. But having already been liberated uh, and liberating Sally from the prison of Seth, I am, I am familiar with the journey of freeing my true self from the bondage of biology. And just as I change my gender on my birth certificate and my driver's license, I'll be changing my status on my vaccine passport tomorrow. So I would like to say that I stand in solidarity with all my transgen vax persons. I hear you. I see you. And don't let the cis vaccinated bigots keep you down. You know who you are and your unjabbed body has nothing to do with the real vaccinated person deep down in your soul. Uh, and, and my pronouns are vax and uh, V. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. There's so much there. But um, I, I, too, I think I'm beginning to identify as a trans vaccinated too. I think that'll, that'll help when it comes to, um, you know, regulations that come down mandates and, and other things. <laughs> Seth, thank you for that. I thank you for that. That's just, you know, we're in such a place of delusion, strong delusion, uh, the reprobate mind. And when that's when moral relativism reigns right. throughout society, this, our thinking, we forget, we, we lose the ability to reason and use common sense as a society. And, and here we are. But thank you for that, for just acknowledging that, that you are trans-vaccinated. So I appreciate the well, courage. Thank you for acknowledging my truth and my yeah. lived experience. Yes, David. yes, that's your truth. Uh, so, so in Pennsylvania, this guy, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, his, I'm sorry, the, uh, the name is Leah Thomas, uh, won two races at a tri-meet, loses the freestyle to another swimmer, but that swimmer is also biologically male. But they, I think, they won the in the women's uh, c competition. I don't. I, please help me understand this, Seth. So I don't even use the term biologically male uh, because it actually grants a premise to the progressives, David. Okay. Um, so I, I refuse to do that um, because what are we saying when we say that? When we say biological male, <laughs> right? And we put that word, that qualifier word, biological, in front of male, <laughs> we're we're insinuating, we're granting that there could be such a thing as non-biological male. A good point, right? Yes. You see why? Why else say biological male? Thank you. No, 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 no. We do not qualify. I will not grant a single step. I will not give any grounds to the progressives because they're really just regressives, aren't they? They're not progressing towards anything. Their ideas are much more ancient um, and dangerous than those of the founding fathers. Um, their, their ideas are nothing new. And what is that idea? That idea is the heresy of Gnostic dualism or body self dualism. Uh, let me do this briefly so we can jump to anything else you wanna discuss, but I'm actually glad you brought this up because while I'm a pro-life speaker, um, David, you know, I'm also uh, I'm also a cultural observer, right? I'm, I'm a political commentator. I'm yep. a worldview thinker. Yes. Um, I, we we as Christians need to think more deeply about issues um, because the pulpits have abandoned the life of the mind. 
Uh, and so a lot of people say, so, you know, Seth, why do you, why do you speak out on so many other issues? Because a lot of it's all connected. You know, like, yes, I'm a pro-life speaker. That's my specialty. But like all, all of this is connected in very strange, um, but, and, but yet sort of intellectually consistent ways. And so abortion and transgenderism, they would actually share the same <clears throat> sort of fundamental, uh, belief system, the same fundamental, almost sort of religiously dogmatic belief, which is the old heresy of Gnostic dualism, that, that, that all that really matters is your soul. All that really matters is who you feel you are on the inside. And you know, as sort of a student of church history, probably better than I do, David, um, that this sort of tore apart uh, early aspects of the early church, right? There were people who were Gnostic dualists yes. who, who believed that the body was fundamentally evil and bad because it was prone to the fleshly, to the desires of the flesh. Um, and so all that really mattered was sort of that higher spiritual knowledge where, where you focused on the soul. Um, and <clears throat> Christ obviously kind of epitomizes how that's a heresy because what he comes he comes to earth bodily, right? When he rises, he still has the holes in his hands, right? Mm -hmm. Declaring that we are both body and soul, right? Both things actually matter. Um, and so the, the body self-dualism essentially says <clears throat> that the real you is not your body, David. The real you is not your body. The real you is your soul, who you feel you are on the inside. So pro-choicers, and transgenderists believe the same thing. That's why pro-choicers will say something like this. Hey, David, <clears throat> shoot, frick, David, I wasn't ready for you to cite the science of embryology to me. Uh, okay, I, I guess I'll give ground. You're right, David. The unborn child is a human being. They're a human being. They have human parents. Mm -hmm. But they're not persons. But they're not persons. Wait, whoa, 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 what? Not all <laughs> humans are persons? Wait, what? So what happens to a society, David, when being human is not enough to ground your rights? Well, the high priests of secular progressivism, they get to decide which cognitive abilities, functions, and accidental properties are necessary to meet their botched litmus test of personhood. And so that's things like cognitive abilities, desires, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, Self-awareness. These are some of the cognitive abilities and sort of mental developmental markers, if you will, that the pro-choicer says, hey, once you meet that, or you realize that function, then you're a person with rights. Guess what? All of those things are un, non, non, uh, untangible, unphysical things, right? Can I touch your desires, David? Can I, can I see your self-awareness, uh, right? No, of course not, but this is where they ground the child's rights. Mm -hmm. That enables them to say not all humans are persons. The unborn may be a human, but they're not a person because only persons have rights and personhood is based on um, no, untangible, non-physical things. So as soon as you decouple, as I, as I was sort of satirically pretending I could do, as soon as you decouple um, your person from your body, right, uh, then you are now in the territory of body self-dualism or Gnostic dualism. Wow. Transgenderism says the same thing. You may have been born with a male body, right? You may have um, you may have a penis, right? Does it matter? Because it, it, who you are on the inside, that's the real you, David. Mm. So there may be a little Sally buried deep down in there. There's actually a little girl inside of you, David, <laughs> waiting to be freed and let go. Oh, like, but no, but, but, but no, my body actually has something to do with who I am. 
Well, not according to the heresy of Gnostic dualism. So, so it's an interesting conversation, especially as it pertains to pro-life, because it's actually the same undergirding worldview, which is that the body doesn't matter. The body means nothing. The body gives no pointers, if you will, David, no pointers or signs to who the real us is. In short, there's nothing in the physical world that we can observe and therefore come to rational conclusions about human nature and reality and the way that the world really works. But Gnostic dualism leads to some very strange <laughs> conclusions. For example, if, if we ever meet in person, David, and do an episode together in person, and I shake your hand, according to Gnostic dualism, David, I would be forced to say, I've never hugged or shaken the hand of the real David. Because remember, the real you is not your body. That's right. You're just, our bodies are just a shell for the real us. Um, you'd also have to say your body existed before you did. It's kind of a strange thing. My yeah. body existed before I did, David. But right, because I had a body in my mother's womb. That was still me. That was my body. But it was, But my body existed before the real me did because personhood is not based on, on a physical body. It's based off of cognitive abilities that come given time later in your development. Very, very strange. But yes, look at that. Secular progressivism is intellectually consistent. Uh, not intellectually coherent, just consistent, and they will carry their premises to their most dangerous, horrific, but consistent conclusions. And we see that with transgenderism and abortion. Yes, uh, thank you for wrapping it up like that. We've got about five minutes left with Seth Gruber, and uh, Alex Newman wrote a recent article about new all-gender locker rooms coming to California schools. Uh, I think he mentioned Long Beach. Don't have time to jump into that one, but that's just one of the progressions, one of the logical conclusions of this kind of thinking, this kind of worldview where you uh, abandon truth. Um, you had Elizabeth Johnston on your podcast recently, Seth. I don't remember when it was. I think it was just last week, but she, over at her website, has an article on a nurse practitioner uh, being proud about how great it feels to provide telemedicine abortions. Uh, just really quickly, your thoughts on that. This is the horizon of the abortion industry. It has been for some time, and it has just been federalized um, through the Biden administration and, and the FDA, and this is called mail-order murder, okay, mail-order murder, mm-hmm. mail-order abortions, telemedicine abortions, snail mail abortions. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> this is what the abortion industry has wanted for a long time, David, because, and very shortly, uh, over 90% of abortions are performed in the first trimester, okay? That's the first 12 weeks. So you talk about a profit incentive, right? If there, were, if there was a gestational age you wanted to protect your abortions at, it would be the first trimester, okay? Uh, that's from Guttmacher Institute, Planned Parenthood Statistical Research Branch. <clears throat> the abortion pill is taken through 10 weeks. Oh, look at that, almost the full first trimester. Pro-life states have been being more successful in the last few years at passing pro-life laws at the state level that have made later-term abortions more difficult and saved more, more <clears throat> later developed unborn children. So the abortion industry has had to pivot and make sure that they're focusing on protecting, particularly killing babies in that first trimester, okay? Abortion pills enable you to get rid of a lot of your uh, overhead, your bottom line costs, right? No more brick and mortar abortion centers. You don't have to pay the staff to operate an abortion center. You don't have to pay the abortionists, which are sometimes in short supply in more red states to fly all across the state and perform abortions. Wow. You don't have to pay the lease on a building, and you also don't have to pay the, uh, the vendor and that comes in with the hazardous waste containers to dump the limbs of babies who have been aborted to take them away. Look at all of the costs you, you save, David. 
that you can then pocket into the bloody pockets of the abortion industry when you get rid of all of that and you can send the abortion pill via snail mail. And so women jump onto these pill mill websites, they order it from India, they send it over. There's no confirming that it's a man or a woman or how old he or she is. So this is also a great gift to the sex trafficking industry and to pimps. Look at that. No shocker there. The Democrat Party who's willing to slaughter the unborn is also willing to pander to actual sex traffickers. You can now jump on and pretend to be a 21-year-old woman who's getting abortion pills that they're going to drop into the orange juice of the women that they're enslaving for sex in the morning to clear out her uterus of any pesky little babies that would prevent her from continuing to provide a profit to those enslaving her. So this is what is already happening and now is available in all 50 states because the FDA dropped their safety regulations on the abortion pill, which enabled them to ship it via snail mail without any in-person evaluation first. So you're not confirming how far along mom is, and you're not confirming that she doesn't have a tubal pregnancy. And so there have been stories, Mm. and guess what? There's going to be a lot more in the next few years, unless the church wakes up, David, of young women uh, being found by their parents in the bathroom dead because they had a tubal pregnancy, which feels the same as the symptoms that you experience right after you take the first abortion pill. The abortion industry doesn't tell her that. They didn't check for a tubal pregnancy because you don't have to anymore. They sent her the pills and now she's dead on the bathroom floor. Mm. Um, and so not only will more unborn children be slaughtered and killed, but actually more young women who are getting the abortion pill will be killed as well. So guess what? It was never about health and the women that the abortion industry claims to speak for and advocate on behalf of are just as willing to endanger the lives of mm. the women they claim to serve as the unborn children that they profit off of killing. Wow, powerful. Thank you for being such a straight shooter. Seth Gruber, you can get info on his ministry, sethgruber.com, and his speaking schedule, plus that blog that we talked about today, 10 Questions for Pro-Choicers. God bless you, brother. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. You too. All right, tomorrow we've got Kevin Sorbo on, actor and producer, catching up with him. And uh, we also have Dr. Andy Woods on Thursday and former transgender Laura Perry with us on Friday. Thank you guys so much. Again, God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.